We're turning tonight to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. John's Gospel, chapter 10. The chapter prior to 10 is the account of the healing of the man born blind. The, uh, the situation ends up with this man being excommunicated by the Pharisees because he acknowledged that Jesus healed him and they couldn't abide that. They put him out of the assembly after that excommunication by their religious leaders. Christ meets up with him, lets him know that he was the one who healed him, and that man worshipped him. Chapter 10 now uh, begins with the Lord declaring that he is the door of the sheepfold, and he's the only door, and that he is the faithful one. So John chapter 10, we're going to break in at verse 11, John chapter 10, verse 11. Let's all hear the Lord's word. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd." Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. 
And God will add His blessing to that reading from His Word for His own name's sake. Will you bow your head with me one more time? Let's go to God. Pray that He'll open up our hearts in the mouth of this preacher. Our God and our Father in heaven, we realize that all the preaching in the world, no matter how sound it may be, is empty if it is not anointed by the Holy Spirit. We know, Father, that all the respectful, polite hearing that may be rendered to a preacher, while such hearing is needful, it won't make any real lasting difference in those who hear if the Holy Spirit does not give the hearing ear. So, O God, we pray that Thou wilt give the speaking voice and the hearing ear. May there be a happy union tonight of both, that we might be taught of the Lord. It will be a word in season from our God. And Christ will be glorified tonight. For in all things, Thy word says, He is to have the preeminence. O make Him preeminent tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Paul states in Colossians 1, verse 18, that Christ is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the head. In Ephesians 1, he writes that God the Father hath put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And as we saw this morning in our message dealing with Christian wives and their attitude they're to have toward their husbands, even if their husbands are lost, Paul says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You can't read those verses without realizing that Christ and Christ alone is the king. He is the great king and head of the church. While that's a truth that any orthodox, fundamental Christian will acknowledge, I don't always uh, feel assured that they draw from that truth right there uh, the application that needs to be made when you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the great king and head of the church. There's much that truth teaches us about the Lord and His relationship to His people. All of those who are truly uh, members of His body, of which He is, he is the head. It, it clearly teaches us, for instance, does it not, that Christ is the source of the Christian's spiritual life. He's the source of it. Without the head... The body is without life. It's, it's, you, you, you sever the head, you have no life. You can sever an arm and still live, a leg and still live, an ear, a tongue. You sever the head and you die. He is the source of our spiritual life. 
Paul refers to that in Colossians 2, verse 19, where he speaks of Christ as the head from which all the body, he's talking about the church now, church members, members of Christ's body, he's the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. So from the head, all of the members, the joints, the bands, he's picturing the body now relating it to the church, from Christ, they increase with the increase of God. They get their strength, their life, their vitality. He's the source. The very reason that any Christian has eternal life within is because he has been brought into a union with Christ himself. And it is the life of Christ that is in him, the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying it's Christ's life in me that's really I'm living out. That's spiritual life. It's, it's the life of Jesus Christ lived out through us, lived out in us. Why the Holy Ghost is called the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Christ's Spirit lives that divine life out in us. The fact of Christ's headship over the church also indicates that the glory of the church, her real beauty, what makes you glorious and what makes you beautiful is Christ. The Apostle Paul, again, Colossians 1.18, when he says Christ is the head of the body, the church that in all things he might have the preeminence, that the head might have the preeminence. It, it's not our hands, you know, even in the, I mean, I get it. There's, there's a, you, you get the manicures, right? And even the pedicures. As if that's going to really do a whole lot. But I'll tell you one thing, men aren't looking at the manicures or the pedicures, looking at the face. They're looking at the head, the head. That's the real glory, the beauty. So it's not our hands that are given the most honor in our bodies. It's not our legs. It's not the feet nor any other member. It's the head that we honor the most. It's the head you spend more time with than anything else as far as your body is concerned and trying to make it attractive, right? You comb the hair, maybe you dye the hair, you curl the hair, you put the makeup on, all of that attention and time, as we were saying this morning, is spent upon the head. It's so important. You see, the... The point, the spiritual point here is that Christ alone, as the head of the church, is all her glory. It's not the members, not the hands, not the feet, not the arms. It's Christ the head. The more Christ, therefore, is manifested, displayed, demonstrated in the life of the church, and the more the members of the body uh, 
yield to him his rightful place as the head, the, 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 the preeminent one, it's, it's, he's the most important of anything else, then the more glorious the church becomes. The, the, the more honor we give to the head, the more honor we give to Jesus Christ, the more glorious we become. Now, that only makes good biblical sense. The more you make of Christ, the more honor you give to him, you become more attractive. I mean, um, you become a drawing card to Christ. You become that which compels men to look more closely. And why are they different? It really makes for spiritual beauty. It doesn't make any difference what you look like physically. This is that inward beauty we're talking about. And the more Christ is honored as the head, the more preeminence is given to him, the more glorious the church becomes, the more beautiful she becomes. Likewise, the least honor paid to him It doesn't bode well for our attractiveness, our drawing power to others to say, well, Christ is, he's really something special. In fact, when when the church of Christ is finally saved to, as the hymn writer said, to sin no more, when she shall be what she should be, then all creation will see like never before, that indeed the Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. But there's another truth in the fact that Christ is the head of the church, and it's that truth that must take our attention this evening. Not only is Christ as the head the source of the church's life and the glory of the church, but it is evident from all of this that Christ is uh, the if you're the head you're the leader Christ is the head over all things to the church and perhaps nowhere is that truth of Christ's leadership his leadership in the church so clearly illustrated in scripture as in his relationship as the shepherd the shepherd of the sheep the leader of the sheep. That's clearly the truth that Christ is emphasizing here in John chapter 10. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Verse 14, he says again, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. And down in verse 27, he follows up that statement with my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them and... They follow me because I'm their shepherd and because they hear my voice. They recognize it and they follow it. Now that, of course, makes all of Christ's people, irrespective of their standing in life, all of them are followers of Christ. And anyone who says that he's saved... But he's a Christian. 
he's professing that he's a follower of the shepherd. That, that a man can be a Christian and not follow Christ is completely foreign to Scripture. Amen. Foreign to it. You, they're diametrically opposed. Sheep follow the shepherd. Now God was, was gracious, was He not, in using sheep to describe Christians because not only is it in the sheep's nature to follow the shepherd, but it's also in the sheep's nature to wander away from the flock. That's what sheep do. They are prone to wander. But even after all of their wanderings, they are sheep still. They're still sheep, and the shepherd goes after his sheep and brings them back. If you're a child of God here tonight, you can, every one of you who's been saved can testify. I can't tell you how many times you would say, the Lord has gone after me. I've wandered off. I've gotten away from the flock. I've gotten away from the shepherd. I've gone my own way. I've gone uh, looking for greener pastures, and I found out they weren't there, and I got into trouble. But the shepherd came after me. And I want to tell you something. That's, that's the only reason that you are still here following the shepherd at this hour is because the shepherd's gone after you time and time and time again because he is the good shepherd, and you're one of his sheep, and he will see to it that you will follow him. I want to use that verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me as the springboard for my message tonight. And I've taken the title to an old hymn we all know to make it the title of my message, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. That's a statement I'm making at the very beginning. I want to make it a question at the end of the message. First, what is the meaning of following Christ? What does that mean? It's good enough, you say, okay, I understand, sheep follow the shepherd, but what does that actually mean in practice? If it's true that all Christians are followers of Jesus, what does it mean? What does that look like in practice? Well, let me, let me approach it first uh, from the negative standpoint, what it, what it doesn't mean. It means in the first place that Christians are not to follow themselves. They're not their own captains. They're not their own shepherds. They're not their own leaders. Once a man has been saved, he automatically becomes a disciple of Christ. He gives up the throne of his life to the Lord Jesus. He's the Lord the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, Jehovah, is my shepherd. No longer does the, the child of God, who's been born again by the Holy Ghost, now the Spirit of Christ is dwelling in him. He doesn't want to be the leader of his own soul, or as that reprobate put it, the captain of his own fate. He has a new leader, and he has a great shepherd and a very good shepherd that he wants to follow. So a Christian is one who never, never should be following himself. By that I mean that he should not uh, seek to go through life and throughout the day by following his own feelings. Hmm. 
Well, you know, I felt like that was the right thing to do. I felt like. I felt like that was what I should have said. I'm, I'm going on my feelings. I'm being led by my feelings, by my gut feelings about something. Feelings, you see, change like the wind. And wants and desires come and go. What you want today, you may not want tomorrow. And what your gut tells you today, it might tell you just the opposite tomorrow because your gut feeling is not infallible. Your gut feeling is not the voice of Christ. It's your gut feeling. Be very leery of following your feelings because they are so unreliable because they are so easily influenced by circumstances and by the fluctuation in your feelings. You don't want to follow your feelings. They're not to be your leaders in life. You're asking for trouble. You will make decisions that you will later regret if you base it really on, I just felt it was a thing I should do. You better have more than I felt I should do that. I also mean that the child of God, the sheep of Christ, should never follow their own understanding. I don't mean that a Christian never uses his mind to make decisions. He should, and he better use his mind I mean, why in the world would you make a, a, a mindless decision? But I mean that he must not depend on what his understanding may seem to be leading him to do. He must not depend upon his ability to reason and apply logic to the situations that they face in life just because, well, I you can say, I get this. this. This just makes perfect sense. Well, you know, folks, it did not make perfect sense to be asleep in a ship when it's about to be filled to capacity with water. Logically. The disciples they didn't see it. But it made perfect sense from Christ's vantage point. It didn't make any sense. It was beyond reason to think that you could feed thousands of people with a few fishes and a few loaves of bread. We can't, we can't, we can't do that. Send them home. That's the decision that needs to be made right here and now. Send these people home because we don't have enough to feed them. Well, that's what logic said. Human logic. Christ turned human logic on its head. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not, trust not on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. In all your paths, in all your decisions, 
acknowledge him to be the one you need to lead you into the right path, and he will direct you into the right path. You play with fire when you begin to, for all intents and purposes, to replace Christ the shepherd with your logic, your reasoning. It also means that the believer ought never to follow his own will unless he's certain that his will is in harmony with the will of Christ. Your will is in harmony with Christ's will as revealed by his word because the sheep hear his voice and the shepherd says, go here or follow me there, then that's fine. But just because... I really want this thing, and because I really want it, I'm going to do it. That's not what sheep do. It also means that not, not, not only are Christians not to follow themselves, but the, they're certainly not to follow the world. The world does not set the standard. The world is not the leader. doesn't matter what the world, which way the world goes. You see, Christ said in John 7, 7, that the world hates him. They can smile ever so sweetly and appear to be ever so friendly and kind, but the fact remains, the world system, the, the, the world over whom Satan is the prince, the world hates Christ. And all the sweetness on the outside is superficial. You get right down to the nitty-gritty. Christ said it plainly. He didn't lie. The world hates me. John 15, 19, If ye were of the world, he tells his disciples, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. It hates me and it hates you because I have chosen you out of the world. He prays in John 17, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And part of the world that was hating those disciples of Jesus Christ in that scenario were the very religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers, the religious people hated those disciples of Christ because they hated Christ. So why in the world would we want to have the world be the one to guide us? to lead us to how we should think. Is it the world's view that we want? Or is it Christ's view that we want? Is it the world that we're to follow as far as any standards are concerned? A life, a life of following Jesus Christ will take you farther and farther and farther away from the world. Christ is not going to lead his sheep into the world. He will lead them away from the world. Period. Can you, I mean, I don't think there's, well, we don't have a thousand here tonight, but I, if, if there were a thousand here and they all said we're Christians, I don't believe that one in a thousand would say, yep, I believe that Jesus, the good shepherd, is going to lead me closer to the world. Not on your life. 
that Christ is going to lead his sheep away from the world's way of thinking. The world's fashion, the world's language, the world's music, the world's pursuits, the world's religion. Jesus, the good shepherd, is going to lead his sheep away from anything that smacks of the world. Following Christ, you understand, is going to make you an oddity. You're going to be very, very strange. Because you're not going with the flow. And you're not going to be accepted. But you see, if you're... If it's so important to you that you get the world's approval that stamp of we accept you upon you, then at that point in time, your leader is the world and it's not the good shepherd. Christians are not to follow the world. Christ is not going to... You got a question about some ethics, some, is this right or wrong? Well, would Christ lead me here? Would Christ lead me into this situation? Would Christ lead me to do this, to go there, to be that? Would my shepherd lead me to do that? Would it have his stamp of approval upon it? That's the one thing you want to ask yourself. Because we say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's what you want to ask every time. Is this where Christ would lead me? Makes life very simple. Christians are also not to follow a man. We read from 2 Corinthians, you might remember earlier on, back in the first epistle, the Corinthian church had that problem because there were some in the church for all of its spiritual gifts, and it had them, genuinely had spiritual gifts. There were those, there were these cliques within the church, and, and some were saying, I am of Apollos. He's my man. I am of Peter. Others said, I am of Paul. And Paul rebukes them strongly for even the notion that they would give their allegiance to a man. It's not Peter. It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. It is Christ. Well, the Lord has indeed set men in his church to hold offices of authority and leadership, men to whom the people of God are to yield respect and submission. At the end of the day, they're still men at best. Fallible, prone to wander like any other sheep. They're not Christ. They're not perfect. And it'd be foolish to follow a man. I know there are many Christians who have been sadly disappointed when they have allowed a man to take the place of Christ to them. They came to depend on a man 
of their own frail making because he came from the dust just like they did. That man's words, however, began to mean more to them than the words of Christ. And that's tragic, but it's happened so many times. Exalt the man. It was... When, when, when Christians start going down that path, when they follow a man, then they look for his approval, not for Christ's approval. It's for a man that they get so involved and begin to labor and work. It's for that man. It's, it's not for Christ. Then one day they, something happens. It inevitably does. Something happens. And they discover that he's just a man after all. And their world comes crashing down around them. They're so disappointed. It all came about because they followed a man and not the Lord. That's the negative side of what it means. That's what you don't do. Positively. Following Christ means that Christ's sheep are going to listen for his voice. The first step in following anyone is to know and to hear their voice speaking to you. My sheep he says, hear my voice, and they follow me. Well, Christ is in heaven, bodily at least. He's everywhere president at once as, as the Logos of the Godhead, but he's not here on the earth right now saying, so-and-so, my sheep, go here, don't go there, do this. We don't hear any audible voices, and I'm not looking for audible voices to be not from not from heaven anyway. But I do look for words from this book. This is the living word of God. Not dead letter, but the living word of God. And if I am going to follow Christ my shepherd, then I know I'm going to hear him speak to me through the written word and through the preached word. Have you not heard the Lord at some time come to the house of God on a Sabbath day or on a Wednesday night and the sermon was just for you? Preacher had no idea it was for you, but it was just for you. That was Christ speaking to you. Have you not, have you not come to that place and you felt you had to have a word from the Lord for something and you open up your Bible, pray, Lord, give me a word. I need light. I need light. I need my feet to be directed. You said your word's a lamp unto my feet, the light unto my path. Well, now, Lord, I need you to, to, to let me hear your voice speak through this book. Show me what your will is. And there, lo and behold, you, you're shown the will of the Lord. I, I have, I have, this is the third, at least the third one of these. I've been using this ever since going into the ministry, this particular Oxford Wide Margin Bible. And I just pulled one down off the shelf. It's 
it was the last one. It falls apart after a while. I just started thumbing through the pages and, and reading the comments. And I knew that I came to a place where the Lord spoke to me. There was, I, I can't do it anymore. You know, I used to be able to get on my knees and have the Bible before me, and my eyesight is just no good. I can't. Getting on my knees with the Bible, I'll not be able to read it without glasses on. But I, I, you can see in the many pages there's just blots of tears. The red ink is just all blurred. And I know, and I know what it was about. Right then and there, the Lord gave me a word. The shepherd spoke to me. It might have been a time when I was a sheep in the valley, a dark valley, and I was afraid. And the shepherd came along and gave a word that just calmed my soul. Sometime it was, I needed to know the direction to go. And the shepherd said, come this way. And I went that way. You see, the, the sheep listened for the voice of the shepherd. They recognize it when they hear it. Years ago, my wife and I, we, the church we got married in, the pastor told a story. He was in Israel, and shepherds were there, and he was calling the sheep. You know, he was just an American over there calling the sheep to get them to come, and they just kept on grazing. They didn't pay a bit of mind. But the moment that shepherd lifted up his voice and called, their heads just went up like that, and they came. Because they recognized the shepherd's voice. They didn't recognize this foreigner. And that's how it is. You, you recognize that's the voice of the Lord talking to me. That's not a stranger. That's someone I know quite well. I've heard that voice before. It's my Lord. Moreover, they are to go wherever he leads. Sheep are not to go out and map their own course in life. Their one great responsibility is to follow their master, to know their master's wishes whether to go or to stay, and it's there they must be found, wherever, wherever he leads, they follow the shepherd. It doesn't make any difference where he says to go, whether he says to stay, it makes no difference. All that matters is, I'm going to follow the shepherd. Thirdly, they are to go where he has gone. That's what following is about, you know. They follow me. Taking the path that Christ has already taken. In short, that really is about walking in the steps of the shepherd. Imitating, as it were, the shepherd. 
That's what it is to follow Christ. The more we follow the Lord, the more we look like the Lord, the more we act like the Lord, because we're following in His footsteps. We go our own way and do our own thing. We go off wandering, and guess what? We're not walking in the footsteps of the shepherd, and we are certainly not looking like any uh, sheep who are obedient and submissive. That doesn't look nice when we go our own way. Never ends well until the shepherd brings us back on track again. So, what are the marks? Secondly, the marks, that's the meaning. What are the marks of following Christ? What are those things that would characterize sheep as they follow their shepherd? Well, following Christ in the first place, when you think about, well, what path did Christ walk down? He says to follow me. Uh, I'm to go down the path that he went down. What path is that? Well, in the first place, following Christ is marked by surrender. That's the path that Christ went down. Surrender. As long as there are two leaders, there can be no followers. And to follow Christ means that you have surrendered your will to Christ's will. Indeed, it's what the old hymn writer called full surrender. Surrendering everything, everything in your life to Christ. Every last thing. There's no, there's, there's nothing where you say, this is untouchable. I'll do anything and I'll go anywhere and I'll be anything but this. I'll do whatever you want, but don't ask me to do this. Well, that's not surrender. Not sur- it's not even half-hearted surrender. Laying at the Lord's feet anything and everything that would hold you back from following him. Anything that would be an impediment to you hearing his voice, and following that voice. You surrender it. You remember there was a young man who came up to Christ one day and said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord Jesus said, Well, you know the law. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, all these things I have kept from my youth. And you can see this young guy with his face just, I've done all that. And the smile was there. Until Jesus said, one thing you lack. You go and sell all that you have and give the proceeds to the poor and come and follow me. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away grieved because he had great possessions. He wasn't going to follow the shepherd because it was going to cost too much. Follow me. What a contrast you have with Matthew, the the, the tax collector who made a buku amount of money because he was a tax collector. Those guys always dipped their hands in the pot. Christ came to him He said, follow me. 
And he arose and followed him. He walked away from a very lucrative job. I'm done being a tax collector. I'm going to follow Christ. He came to James and John, fishermen. Follow me. And they left their nets and followed him. That's what it's about. Surrender. Didn't hesitate. That's what the master wants. That's what the leader wants. That's what the shepherd wants. That's what I want. I thought of Philip. You know, to the flesh it would be hard. Philip, the evangelist, is is in, I think, at Samaria, and is having a great, it's a great time of awakening, and, and, and so many souls are being saved, and the work of the Spirit is going just hammer and tong. And in the midst of that wonderful time of blessing, the Holy Ghost calls Philip away to go out to a desert and to preach to an Ethiopian eunuch. No hesitation. He just dropped it all. Fine, I'll go out there. Oh, I'm needed here more, Lord. No, I, I want you. I want you out there. That's where you need it most right now. There's just one guy, and he needs to be saved. And I want you to lead him to Christ. If you and I are ever going to enter into this real discipleship, closely following the Lord, then we must know personal surrender of all to Christ. It must be, Lord, take everything because it's all yours anyway. You take whatever you need to take. I just want to be where you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do. You know what's best for me. You know, brothers and sisters, you can't ever, ever, ever do that in your own strength. That only comes through grace in the heart. Without the grace, there may be, well, a good and honest desire. I want to follow the Lord. I want to be all I can be for the Lord. But there's still this other thing you want to hold on to. And you don't want to give it up. until the grace of the Lord comes and then you say, what, am I in the, what in the world have I been holding on to? It's that valuable? It's, it's more precious to me than Christ? That's where grace leads you. Samson that tragic story of 
that judge of the Old Testament, he lost his strength, as you know, when he lost his hair. It's not that there was anything magical about his hair, having long hair. It was just the long hair, the the uncut hair was the sign of the Nazarite vow. It was a sign of his consecration to God. When Samson lost his consecration, he lost his strength. Gone. Wonder what was going through the hymn writer when he penned those words, I surrender all. I surrender all, all to thee, my precious Savior. I surrender all. Not only is following Christ marked by surrender, but it's also marked by self-denial. Christ denied himself. Very God of very God, yet he laid aside his glory, and the Creator became the servant to the creature. And if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, he says, follow me, then we got to follow him there, imitate him there. We need to go to Bethlehem and see that Son of God as a little baby in a feeding trough, a feeding trough. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said, Christ, he said to them all, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Note he said to them all, to them all, not one was exempted daily, daily. No day is accepted. No individual was accepted and no day was accepted. Take his cross daily and follow me. This is about Self-denial is about death. It's about death to me. Death to me. It's about death to self. Putting I on the cross. You see, the Lord was very plainly pointing out that self-denial, there's real suffering in self-denial. There's real suffering. It's not pleasant when you have to deny yourself something that you want and you deny yourself for the cause of something far more important than your wants. There's real pain that can be involved in that. And it's painful to the flesh because the flesh wants what it wants. Putting self-will, self-love, self-interest, self-pleasure on the cross is painful. Who would ever think for one moment that when the Lord, in his day, they knew what the cross meant. It was awful. This was, this, this is... Brothers and sisters, we've gotten so far away from what these men understood by the use of of the cross 
and a sight of the cross. I mean, it's, it, it, it wasn't a piece of jewelry worn around the neck or earrings on the ear with little crosses dangling down if it's some piece of ornament. It was a, it was a, a place of reproach and disgust and shame and pain. Christ states that the man who loves his life, he's going to lose it. It's the man who hates his life who's going to find it. The man that will not deny himself now, Jesus said, for the sake of his soul, is the man who will not follow Christ in self-denial. And one day he'll find out that he's lost everything because of that. He's lost everything. But the soul that has buried, as it were, his love for the world with all of its riches and honors and pleasures and rewards, that, that one who is more than happy to cast away anything and everything that's most dear to him, if it stands in the way of his life and his soul, that is the man who will not be the loser. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You've got one soul, only one, and that soul can be lost, and if you lose it, it is lost forever. That's the context of Jesus saying, take up the cross and follow me. Peter didn't want to do that initially. Don't want to hear about this cross stuff. Don't want to hear about you dying. And Jesus sharply rebuked him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. You're talking like the devil himself. He does not want me on the cross. You're saying the same thing. Christ said, listen, Peter, I have come here to go to the cross. I have come here to suffer and to die. There's a mission I'm on, and I'm going to complete that mission, and you are not going to stand in my way. Peter had to learn a lesson. It was a hard lesson, but he learned it. He learned it. I got to follow him. Self-denial. Following Christ is also marked by service. Jesus said in John 12, 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me. You see, following Christ is about serving Christ. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting concept, is it not? We're actually ministering to the Lord, ministering to Jesus Christ. It's doing something to show that you really want to serve Him. Doing something. Not serving yourself. We all can do that. It's so easy. Do things that serve ourselves, that serve self-interests. I mean, we're quite willing, are we not? We're quite ready and willing to, to sacrifice all kinds of things for Self-interests. But to do something just to serve Christ. Christ went about doing good. 
That's following his steps. He went about doing good. Well, what kind of good did he do? Well, he supplied the needs of others, and he fed people, and he healed them, and he preached the gospel to them. Isn't it interesting that Christ speaks of his needs? He has needs that need to be serviced by his people. What do you mean? Well, you recall that Jesus told on judgment day, this is all going to be brought out. I was hungered, and ye fed me. I was naked, and ye clothed me. Uh, Lord, when saw we thee hungry or naked, inasmuch as ye did have done it unto the least of these, my brethren? Ye have done it unto me. You've served me by serving my brethren. Whatever can be done is done for Christ to serve him. Following Christ finally is marked by supplication. If we're going to follow Christ, then we've got to follow him into the place of prayer. He often went and got alone to pray. And we need to follow the shepherd into the place of prayer. Alone. No distractions. No phones, no texts, no email, ping, because they're all distractions. Just to be alone with the Lord in prayer, if we're going to follow him. Following him into Gethsemane where we actually agonize in prayer. We wrestle with the Lord. We pray more earnestly, as it said of Jesus. He prayed more earnestly. That's following the Lord. That's what it is to be a follower of the Good Shepherd. I confess that these are old, old paths. And I believe that there are many Christians today who want to serve Christ by setting out on new paths. I believe it's the old paths that we need. Not new doctrines, new inventions, new methods but quite content to walk the footsteps of Jesus. Quite content to be at his side, to do whatever he wants. Well, I could preach another sermon, I guess, on the final point, but I won't. The rewards of following Christ, what do you get from it? Well, you're certainly assured that you're going to be in his presence. If I'm following Jesus, I'm going to have the assurance that I have his presence with me. And I don't know about you, but I am like Moses. If, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not a pence, because I can't make it without your presence. I, I, life is so empty, and the pulpit is so powerless. Praying is so dry. 
Oh, I have to stay close to the shepherd. If I am following the Lamb, not only is there the reward of of Christ's presence, but there's going to be growth in Christ-likeness. Remember, I'm following Him. I'm walking in His steps. I'm, I'm being like Him. So guess what happens if I do that? I'm going to be more like Jesus because I'm going where He's going. Isn't that what we want? I mean, who wants to who wants to look like the devil? You want to look like the devil, then follow the world. But if you want to look like Christ, then you follow Christ, and that's that's one of the great blessings of following the shepherd's voice. Ultimately, there's going to be great honor placed upon you. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. I have the promise from God that he's going to honor my following Christ, my service to Christ as I follow him, my good shepherd. I am going to be honored by him. Might not be honored by men, but at the end of the day, what does that matter? If I have the honor of the Lord, that's what really counts. The Lord's honor. The Lord saying, good job. Well done. Well done. (laughs) You followed my son. Well done. So do we mean it? Do we mean it when we sing? Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him. With him. All the way. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for tarrying with us this evening in thy word. It's been a precious time to think upon following Christ. We realize, Lord, that the rubber must meet the road. And when we leave here, there must be feet put to our preaching and our praying. Grant, Lord, that very grace that we need to listen for the shepherd's voice, to obey it, without hesitation and to stay by his side. We know, Lord, that that, that is our Christ-likeness. That is our joy, our peace of mind, calmness of heart. We're near the shepherd. Grant more of that, we pray, as we walk with our Lord this week, one day at a time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.